We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, July the 29th, 2021. Today's show, we conclude our 2021 TSUS season preview series. Guys, today we are breaking down the Gamecocks special teams heading in the 2021 football season. Guys, first things first, we'll look back at 2020, how the special teams fared. Also, key departures, key returners, top storylines for the upcoming year. Also, while they'll be better, while they'll be worse, season will be successful if, and I'll give my prediction for the 2021 unit. Guys, also, news and notes, your listener questions, and we have a fantastic interview for you guys today. For the first time ever, we have a throwback interview here on the airwaves obviously guys over the four-year history of the spurs up show we've done a ton of interviews had a ton of conversations and there are a lot of times i have fans asking me chris you should get this guy on the show get that guy on the show get this athlete get this personality and i'm like we had him on but it was way back in 2018 today's conversation absolutely phenomenal fantastic the best to ever do it under center at south Ghana, former gamecocks quarterback Connor Shaw, he joined me way, way back in September of 2018. I'm sure there's many of you that have never heard this conversation, guys. Very excited for you to tune into this, guys. So, again, stick around for that. we got a packed show here on a Thursday, and it's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention on the companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. The movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone on the crew is invested in your success. They have dedicated professional crew members, and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating and packaging special items, and cleaning services as well. They're founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni, guys, so a Gamecock-owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience, and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media, at Upstate Movers Group, or of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it.
gents, boys and girls, happy Thursday. Hope you're all doing well. I'm Chris Phillips, host the Spurs Up show, as always. Appreciate you guys tuning in. We've got a packed show. We are concluding the 2021 TSUS season preview series, and arguably, we are saving the best for last. We're talking Beamer Ball, special teams. Yes, very exciting stuff. And I think one of the most underrated facets of the game, you know, I've been shocked and how little people have been talking about special teams, especially when you hire a guy with the last name Beamer. But again, we're breaking all that down, guys. 37 days away from kickoff. What an exciting week it's been, folks. Thank you all so much for the continued love and support, and I hope this finds you well. Wherever you are, whatever you may be doing, whether you're on the commute, you're in the office, you're on the job, you got the day off, whatever you might be doing, hopefully whatever you're doing, you're staying cool because it is hotter than Hades in the city this week. And I think the high today uh, here on this Thursday is like 99. The high Friday is 101. High Saturday is like 97. And, of course, that's just the temperature, right? We all know in Columbia, famously hot, that heat index, it feels like it's like 120 degrees. So whatever you're doing, I know my AC is working overtime. I hope yours is working as well. Thank the good Lord for AC. But whatever you're doing, ho- hey, hopefully you're near a body of water of some sort. Great weekend to hit the pool or the beach, the lake, or whatever it might be. Also, hey, a great weekend to hit the beach. August the 20th, that weekend, we're live from Rita's at Folly Beach. little shameless uh, – little uh, shameless plug there for the live show on August the 20th. But again, guys, thank you all so much for the love and support. Appreciate you all tuning in. Like I said, guys, very excited to talk Gamecock special teams. Without further ado, let's get into it as we wrap up the 2021 season preview series for the upcoming season. Again, we are talking Gamecocks special teams and the impact Shane Beamer, Pete Limbo, those guys are going to have on that unit. But before we talk about this year's special teams unit, let's look back at the 2020 season and how the Gamecocks fared in special teams in their 2020 10-game All-SEC schedule. Parker White will start out the kicker who returns this year. Did not have his best season, honestly. 11 of 19 in his field goals, 59 points, but he needs just 70 points to set the all-time record at South Carolina. Parker has been pretty dependable for South Carolina. I think it's been a mixed bag in the sense of he was put in some really tough spots, some really tough situations with the previous coaching staff. And we all remember early in his career, the rough start he had and you know asking him to kick field goals beyond 50 yards or what might have you. But overall, back uh, 11, you know, he is back this year, 11 of 19 last year in field goals, 59 points was solid, wasn't great but was solid for South Carolina. You also have Kai Kroger last year, 39 punts, 43.3 yard average, 53 was as long, and he was named to the SEC coaches all freshman team. But guys, think back to last year, 10 games you played, 39 punts. Unfortunately, Kai Kroger was kept very, very busy due to South Carolina's offensive success or lack there. Of. Also, last year, Dak Joyner was your main kickoff returner, and this really surprised me. He was the leading returner. He only had seven returns, a 23.6-yard average, which is pretty solid, and a long of 52. Jamie Robinson, who is no longer with the team, of course, he was your leading punt returner, seven punt returns a season ago, 4.3-yard average, and a long of 16 yards. So really nothing, nothing dynamic happening in the return game for South Carolina a year ago. Now, let's talk key returners, key departures, guys, and we'll start with the departures. And really, most of your core, that is your special teams unit, is back in this upcoming season. The main two guys you lose, 
kickoff returner Shai Smith, and punt returner Jamie Robinson. With Shai, like I said, guys, I mean, Dak Joyner was the leading returner for you. He had the most kickoff returns. But Shai Smith, you do lose him as an option, of course, the great wide receiver. And then Jamie Robinson. To the transfer portal, you lost Jamie. He will no longer be fielding punts for South Carolina. And, of course, there is a battle at that spot. There's competition there to see who will be getting their opportunity to make plays for South Carolina in the return game. And we'll talk about that a little bit more here in just a second. Let's talk key returners for the 2021 football season. Again, guys, like I said, the main core, basically everybody's back when it comes to special teams. You've got your kicker, Parker White punter Kai Kroger, your kickoff specialist Mitch Jeter, who I thought did a really good job last year. Uh, Dak Joyner is back as an option as a kickoff returner. Cam Smith is back as an option as a punt returner. I think he fielded two or three punts last year. Um, Also, Jalen Brooks, who was a kickoff returner at some point last year, he is back. And then your long snapper, Matthew Bailey, is also back as well. Guys, do not sleep on the long snappers, the holders, because I tell you what, it's one of those things where we don't talk about them, we don't think about them. I mean, we don't even – most fans don't even know the names, the long snapper, the holder. But I tell you what, when they mess up or the chemistry's not there, it is very, very, very evident. Heck, you saw that in Parker White's first season. I think that's one of the reasons he struggled so mightily. So you do have Matthew Bailey back. Kai Kroger's your holder. You have that nucleus of guys back in the kicking game. Let's move into top storylines for the 2021 football season, for the special teams specifically. And guys, like I said, you have to start here. Beamer ball has officially hit Columbia. And I've been really surprised at the lack of banter or conversation around Shane Beamer's impact on special teams. Now, I understand special teams. It is not the most exciting and sexiest thing to talk about. Um, It's not fun to talk about kickers and punters. But South Carolina fans, I feel like we should have an even greater appreciation for special teams than like any other fan base out there because we have seen, guys, we have seen firsthand how having special teams, having superb special teams, being dynamic in the return game, how it can take a team that's maybe a 500 average team and vault them to an eight, a nine-win team. Guys, we saw it early on in the previous coach's regime with Debo Samuel and what he did in the return game and how good he was at kickoff returns and the way, you know, we know momentum is everything in college football. And when you're able to, you know, take one back for a touchdown, even have a big return, you know, take a punt back, obviously block a punt, block a field goal. Guys, I don't have these statistics actually pulled up in front of me, but the numbers, when you block a punt or you block a field goal, they're in, like you win 90% of the time. Like it's crazy. It's crazy how often you win those games and once you make a game-changing play like that on special teams. So, again, Beamer ball hitting Columbia. Of course, Shane Beamer was at South Carolina under Steve Spurrier 2007 to 2010 coaching special teams. And the Gamecocks did improve on special teams while he was at South Carolina. And, of course, Shane Beamer, guys, is the son of the original Beamer ball at Virginia Tech. I mean, arguably, has there been a better special teams coach or a coach that, I mean, how many other coaches got a nickname because of what their teams did on special teams? I, I cannot think of any others. So the effect of Beamer ball, the impact of Beamer ball, does South Carolina, do we see them return to being a dynamic football team in the special teams facet of the game? Because guys, like I said, here's the thing. You know, you're fighting to get to a bowl game this year, right? Year one. And you're just fighting and scratching and clawing for wins, especially early on in the Shane Beamer era. 
Special teams could be the difference. Hey, special teams could be the difference between winning six games or winning seven, or God forbid, winning eight, right? It can play a huge, huge factor, and I expect it to, especially early on in Shane Goober's tenure. Also, on the coaching side of things, sticking with that, another big storyline here, sticking with coaches. Not only do you have Shane Beamer, who is the son of Frank Beamer, right? And that, that reputation, it goes without saying why that's a big deal. But not only do you have Shane Beamer and his reputation, you also hired Pete Limbo, who, guys, everyone you talk to who knows anything about football, I've talked to Phil Steele about it, Brett Ciancia, many others. You talk to anybody who knows college football, they rave about Pete Limbo being one of the best, if not the best, special teams coach in the country. Bottom line is this. The Gamecocks are going to be very, very well coached in regards to special teams. Extremely well coached. And you think of that dynamic duo with Beamer and Limbo, I think you have to feel as a fan. Again, I know it's not taught about quite as much. It's not the sexiest thing in the world. But you've got to feel really, really, really good about your special teams unit and at least, if nothing else, the way it will be coached from this point forward, no doubt. Uh, another big storyline, going back to the guys on the field, kicker Parker White. We talked about, you know, his career has been really interesting, had a really rough start. You know, it's crazy, guys. If you want to, you know, I talked about we got a vintage throwback interview upcoming. I'll give you a throwback take of mine. Going in the 2018 season, again, if you were tuning into the podcast in 2018, God bless you, and I appreciate you for being a day one. But if you weren't, and I'm sure there's many of you that weren't, I actually predicted in fall camp of 2018 that Parker White would not win the starting job at South Carolina for that fall. And not only did he win the starting job, but now he sits and comes into this 2021 season needing just 70 points to set the all-time South Carolina record, which Elliott Fry holds currently. Four points scored in a career. So, again, Parker White needs just 70 points. He's averaged guys in his career. You look at statistics, he's averaged about 72.5 points per year. So, he's going to be very close to it, going to be right at it, I think, especially going back to a 12-game schedule. I would predict he most likely will. But uh, Parker White chasing history, man. Every field goal he makes, every extra point, it's going to be sort of a countdown, if you will, to, uh, to Parker White setting that record. So it should be a lot of fun to follow this season. Uh, another big storyline for me, guys, Kai Kroger. Again, it's not the sexiest or the flashiest part of the game to talk about. We talked a lot about Joe Charlton when he was at South Carolina. Now, of course, he's with the Carolina Panthers doing a great job with them. And, uh, you know, Kai Kroger, could he be the next weapon for South Carolina? Could, could he be the next great punter? Because, again, for a football team like – I just feel like for a football team like South Carolina who, you know, again, you're going to be fighting, scratching, and clawing to win – as many games as possible. Like, you're, you're going to have to find creative ways to win games, especially when you take on teams like Georgia, Clemson, Texas A&M, even the Floridas of the world. You go on the road to Missouri. You know, you're taking on Auburn. You're going to have to find ways to win those games. So you need to be, you need to be excellent in all facets of the game, but especially a facet like special teams. You have to. Maybe take advantage in the special teams game. So having a great punter, or, hey, maybe your offense, especially early in the year, they're going to be figuring themselves out, getting their feet wet, brand-new system, brand-new scheme, basically brand-new quarterback, uh, breaking in wide receivers, all that good stuff, right? So there might be some bumps in the road. And while there are, 
how good does it feel to know, hey, we've got a punter that can flip the field for us? That's very important. I mean, it's extremely important. You're going to have a defense that's also going to be trying to figure things out and, and, and get their act together, if you will, from last season. So giving, not giving short fields, having a punter that can pin people down inside their 10, their five-yard line, whatever it might be, but having a punter that can flip the field for you. Can Kai Kroger, of course, he had a fantastic freshman year. Can he continue to be that guy? Can he be the next great USC punter? that has worn the garnet and black. We shall see. Um, of course, maybe the biggest storyline, the return game. Who is going to step up in the return game? Whether it comes to punt returner, kickoff returner, what it might be. I've been joking about this. You might have no idea if you're not tuned into these on a daily basis, but I've been doing the NCAA football streams, uh, playing the season on Dynasty, and I've been joking with you guys because I have a Morgan Brown set as my kickoff and punt returner because he's like our fastest player. He's like a 95 speed, and he is incredible. So I hope I'm not setting unfair expectations for Marion Brown in real life. But seriously, in the return game, is it a guy like Josh Van? Is it on Joyner? Is it a Marion Brown? Is it Xavier Leggett? Is it Jalen Brooks? Obviously, you want speed back there. But again, like I told you guys earlier, South Carolina fans, we, sh- we should, and I think we do, have a really, really great appreciation for special teams and what it means to a football team and how it can just change. I mean, how many times, guys, in 2017, 2018, were we watching games and Debo Samuel made a play and all of a sudden things just turned our way? I mean, I will never forget the 2017 game at Missouri, right? 2017 at Missouri. People will look at the final score and say, oh, South Carolina just dominated, they killed him. But it was 10 to nothing in that game, Mizzou, beginning of the second quarter or so. And South Carolina looked did not look very good early in the game. Uh, Gamecocks got the ball. Debo Samuel went 95 yards or 98 yards or whatever he did. He took it the distance. Boom. All of a sudden, the Gamecocks are sparked. They go on to whoop the, you know, whoop Mizzou's ass. I mean, really, no other way to put it. 31 to 13, I think, or something. So, special teams makes a very, very, very big impact. And the return game is a huge piece of that. Can you find, I mean, not even, I'm not even saying find, you know, the next Ace Sanders or Debo Samuel, but you've got to be better than you were last year. I mean, Jamie Robinson, all due respect to the guy, whatever, best of luck at Florida State. He had seven returns, a 4.3-yard average. Folks, you might as well just be fair catching it. I mean, honestly, you might as well just fair catch at that point. Hey, also, catching the football. You know, we saw that be issues a couple of times when Brian Edwards took over and other guys tried their hand at it. So being solid in the return game. And if you can be explosive, that's great. But you got to take care of being solid first. Find a guy who can, you know, do the basics, catch the football, understands the position, knows what he needs to do to be successful. And then hope, what the hope is, is that that same guy is going to be one of the most dynamic players in your team in regards to speed, agility, quickness, uh, making moves, all that good stuff. So who steps up in the return game at both kickoff returner and punt returner? Be very interesting to see Final storyline, guys, for the 2021 football season for special teams, and I really just touched on it briefly, but it's a question. And the question is this, can Shane Beamer and Pete Limbo, can that duo, can they transform South Carolina special teams into a threat again, right, into a threat? Because like I said, it's been really interesting that ever since Shane Beamer's gotten out of me, heck, guys, we're selling merch that says Beamer Ball and um, you know, it, it's, it's the, the Beamer ball craze has taken over, right? We're all excited for Shane Beamer and Beamer ball, but I think people are almost like forgetting what Beamer ball actually is. 
and what it was at Virginia Tech and like Shane Beamer's prowess in regards to special teams, right? So I, I think special teams that obviously got better with the last regime, but I don't think we saw it year in, year out be a game-changing type of threat for the Gamecocks. Will Shane Beamer and Pete Limbo be able to transform it into that? Because like I said, guys, it's such an underappreciated facet of the game, but it is so, so important. I mean, again, if you can block a punt, if you can block a field goal, if you can make a game-changing type of play in special teams, who knows, man? There might be upsets this season that we haven't picked that South Carolina is able to pull off just because of that facet of the game alone. And, of course, we've talked about many times momentum in college football. Momentum is everything. I mean, you're dealing with 18 to 22-year-old kids. You know, it's not quite as big a deal at the pro level because it's business. These are grown professionals, whatever. But when you're dealing with college kids and the momentum swings and the emotions and all of that, dude, having a special teams unit that can make those type of plays for you it's an incredible asset to have. And again, I wonder, can how and how much, I think it will happen. How much can Shane Beamer and Pete Limbo, how much can they change this South on a special teams unit in such a short period of time? Be very fun to watch. All right, let's move into why they'll be better, why they'll be worse. And we'll start with why I think the Gamecock special teams will be better in this 2021 football season. Guys, the, the answer is really, really simple. I just talked about it. Simply put, Beamer ball. Beamer ball. Bottom line. Bottom line. Beamer ball. That, that's why the special teams will be better. Having a guy like Shane Beamer with his background, I don't even need to go into it. The last name Beamer, it speaks for itself. Having a guy like Shane Beamer, Pete Limbo, who is regarded as one of the best, if not the best, special teams coach in the entire country, guys, I doubt there will be a better coached special teams unit in all of college football. And I'm dead-ass serious when I say that. Like, I, I I really don't see there being a better coached special teams unit than what Shane Beamer and Pete Limbo will put out on the field this season. So, again, why they'll be better, it's very simple. Beamer ball, bottom line. Why the Gamecock special teams will be worse or could be worse in the 2021 football season, if there's one thing that could hold South Carolina back in regards to special teams, it is the return game. Why they'll be worse if a dynamic return man does not emerge for South Carolina this season. I think it could be a very lackluster year for special teams. And I think either way, guys, I think special teams like the kicking game, I think the punting game, I'm going to get to my predictions for the unit in just a second. But I think special teams as a whole will be solid. But if you fall into a situation where, and we've seen it at South Carolina before, if you fall into a situation where you can't find a dependable return guy, and I'm not talking about a guy, oh, man, I wish he'd break one for a touchdown. I'm literally talking about catching the football, a guy who understands what being a return guy is about. Hey, we saw special teams lose a game for South Carolina last year. Who remembers the Tennessee game? When Cam Smith, you know, no, you know, whatever, I'm not trying to call the kid out, but what happened happened. The ball goes off his leg. South Carolina doesn't get the opportunity to drive down the field and win that game late. Hey, special teams cost you. So if you cannot find a dynamic return guy that understands that position, can catch the football, can do those simple things, it could be a very underwhelming first season for you in that regard. Let's move in. A season will be successful if 
the season will be successful for the Gamecock special teams in 2021 if the unit changes the outcome of at least one game this season. I think that will spell a successful year. If you can just make special teams a part of your football team that's a difference maker, that's a successful first season in Chamberlain. I think we're all expecting that. I think we are, but that will deem a successful season. Again, obviously don't lose a football game, and I mean that change the outcome in a positive way. Of course, I don't mean that in a negative way. Change the outcome in a positive way. A blocked punt, a blocked field goal, a kickoff return, a punt returner that sparks this South Carolina football team and leads them to victory, how could you not look at that and say, you know what, we're moving the right direction in special teams. It's obvious the fingerprint that Shane Beamer and Pete Limbo have put on this unit. Without a doubt, that would be a successful year for the special teams unit in this 2021 football season, in my opinion. Let's win my prediction. My prediction for the 2021 football season for the special teams specifically. Guys, simply put, I, I think Shane Beamer and Pete Limbo, I mean, again, their fingerprints are going to be all over this thing. I fully expect the Gamecocks to have the best coached or most well-coached special teams unit in all of college football. I think Parker White will set the points record, by the way. He only needs 70 points to get there. He's got a 12-game and hopefully a 13-game schedule to do it. Um, I think he most certainly will. I think Kai Kroger will be an all-SEC player. Again, you saw him last year. He's only gotten stronger, better as a punter. I think he's an all-conference type of talent. I think Kai Kroger will have another fantastic year. And again, I do think the special teams, if nothing else, will take the first steps under Shane Beamer in regards to being a difference maker under those two coaches. I really, truly, I see no scenario where that's not the case. Shane Beamer knows too much about special teams. He's too good of a coach. And Pete Limbo, same with him. I expect the special teams to change the outcome for the better for a game this season. No, no question in my mind. There will be a game this season we look at. Hey, when I gave my predictions, I tried to factor special teams in as much as possible. And if you guys remember, I picked the Gamecocks to beat Tennessee 31-20 to on the road. And that was the game I looked at. And I said, you know what? I have this weird feeling. I think Beamer Ball. I think Beamer Ball will emerge. Sal kind of will block a punt, block a kick, do whatever. I think Beamer Ball will be the difference in that football game. I think that's going to be the first semblance of Beamer Ball that we really see. But again, I expect the special teams really throughout Shane Beamer's entire coaching career. I think it's going to be a, 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 an area of strength for the Gamecocks. No question. So again, I think it's going to be a very fun, very successful year for the Gamecocks special teams as Beamer Ball officially takes over in Columbia. So again, guys, that's going to do it for my breakdown of the special teams heading in the 2021 football season. And that's also going to put a wrap on the 2021 TSUS season preview series in case you missed the past couple of shows of course on Monday's show we talked defense on the previous Thursday we talked offense so you can hear all three of those and of course the previous shows from there were my predictions and all that good stuff so if you want to check those out as well you can do that but this show officially concluding the 2021 TSUS season preview series again guys beamer ball very exciting i know special teams isn't the sexiest thing to talk about it's not the most fun thing to talk about people don't want to spend hours on hours talking about it but it's a huge facet of the game and if and when shane beamer makes it a strength for south gonna again i think that's going to be a huge difference maker 
in Gamecocks football. No question. Especially, like I said, early in his tenure, where South Carolina may be taking on some teams they're not quite as talented as. You know how you even the scales a little bit? You block a punt. You block a kick. You take a kick back. And all of a sudden, it's like, hey, we got momentum. Uh, you know, we're making big plays in different facets of the game. All of a sudden, things change. So, really excited to see what Shane Beamer does with this special teams group. Uh, with that being said, guys, like I said, the season preview series for the 2021 season has concluded starting next week. I am very, very excited on the podcast, guys. We move from the season preview series to now the position unit previews for South Carolina football. That will be the main topic of conversation with the podcast for really the next four weeks. I mean, we're going to break down every single position unit on the football field, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, O-line, D-line, linebacker, secondary, everything you need to know about each and every single position unit for those who have been following uh, who have been following along with the show for longer than a year or so. You guys know about this. We do this each and every single preseason, but very excited to really, really dive in the nitty-gritty and break down this football team by each positional unit as we now count down 37 days away from Shane Beamer's first season in Columbia. All right, let's get into your news and notes and your listener questions. Um, quick note to start it off. Texas OU, they're officially out of the Big 12. It looks like that moved to the SEC. It is going to happen. Now, a lot of you have asked me, Chris, what does it mean for South Carolina? What does South Carolina need to do to prepare? I, I don't think there's any secret formula or anything specific. Like, the plan hasn't changed, right? The SEC is already hard with Bama and Georgia and Florida and LSU. and all. You just go down the list of these teams. The SEC is already a grind. It's already a gauntlet. So if you're South Carolina and you're Shane Beamer, I would say this, guys. I had this thought yesterday. If, if nothing else, would you not almost feel South Carolina's in a pretty good spot with those teams coming? Because, hey, guess what? Shane Beamer has already got ties recruiting in that area when he was at Oklahoma. You've already seen South Carolina go out much farther west than I ever remember they're going, them going in their recruiting footprint, going to Texas to get guys and, and going to the Midwest. So if nothing else, maybe you feel like Shane Beamer with his past at Oklahoma, that's only going to be an advantage for him. But if you're South Carolina, man, the only thing you can do is put your head down, recruit, try to be the best you can be, and that's it. I mean, you can't worry about who's joining the conference or what's going on. I agree with you guys. It's the wild, wild west. I love it from the college football fan perspective. I think it's going to be incredible football from the South Carolina fan perspective. Do I love it? Honestly, no. Like, it's hard enough to win the SEC. Now you're going to add Texas OU. But you know what? We don't make the decisions. To hell with it. It is what it is. Let them play ball. Like Shane Beamer said, Monday night at his welcome home tour. If they want some of the best conference, let them come get some. It is what it is. But if you're South Carolina, I say this. Keep your head down. Continue to build your program. Hey, we'll play whoever lines up across from us. Whatever. It don't matter. We got to get our players. We got to handle our business in the building. And if we do that, everything else will take care of itself. That's just the way you got to approach it, in my opinion. Um, a couple other quick notes. It is preseason watch list season. And the Gamecocks have had a few named this week. JJ and Igbari named to the Nagurski Trophy watch list. Jordan Strawn, the new transfer from Georgia State. He was named the Butkus Award watch list. And Kai Kroger, who, of course, we talked about in today's show in great detail, named to the Ray Guy Award watch list. So, again, watch list season. That's how you know football is just around the corner. Also, a quick update, guys, from Shane Beamer's Welcome Home Tour. We learned this on Monday. Of course, I post on social media. But in case you missed it, players are set to report a week from today, next Thursday, August the 5th, Fall camp is set to begin Friday, 
August the 6th. In regards to practice schedule or will there be open practices, guys, I don't know yet. I do not know. There has not been a schedule released. I'm assuming that is something that will probably come out next week. I'm thinking next week is when you'll hear uh, the official practice schedule. And will there be any open practices? I'd like to think so. I know that's something Shane Beaver wants to do. I think if it's feasible, I think they will do it. So we will see. But again, fall camp set to begin Friday, August the 6th. Folks, it is right around the corner. Absolutely cannot wait for that to get going. All right, let's move into your listener questions, guys, and then we'll go into our interview. Austin G underscore 45 says, who do we think returns kicks or punts for the Gamecocks? Yeah, great question, Austin. Again, we talked a lot about that in the return game and who's going to step up. If I had to make a pick, again, I've been crushing it with Amari and Brown on NCAA. I don't know if that really means anything, but I have been crushing it with Amari and Brown. Um, you know, I... I, if, if Amarian Brown can catch the football and he's the guy that I think he is, I think he will be the guy. I mean, he's so fast. One of the fastest guys, if not the fastest on your football team. I think Dak Joyner is certainly an option. I think Jalen Brooks is an option. You know, I think Leggett, I think Van could be an option. Um, but, man, I'd really love to see a guy like Amarian Brown step up there. I mean, I mean guy, again, you know, again, we've seen his film and tape and all the speed he has, possesses. I would love to see him step up and do that for sure. Uh, w underscore Hale. Does Parker have a shot at the all-time points record? He's been the starter for six years. Yeah, no, he certainly does. He certainly does. 70 points away. He should get that this year. And, uh, yeah, it'll be really cool. He has been at South Carolina for a while, though. You are correct. Um, still underscore not underscore trending says, last question, if expansion happens without Clemson being involved, should we leave the SEC? I'm going to say no. Uh, There's a reason everybody's clamoring to get to the SEC, right? So, no, I I don't think it'd be wise for the Gamecocks to leave the SEC. I I think it's it's a better idea to stay, no doubt. And, uh, you know, we shouldn't really worry about what Clemson's doing. Doesn't really matter what Clemson's doing. You got to worry about what South Carolina's doing. And, uh, you know, I I know – so, listen, South Carolina will never leave the SEC. The revenue numbers are too good. The money's too big. It will never happen. But, uh, like I said, if you're South Carolina, man, all you can do is put your head down and grind and – Recruit the best players you can possibly get and build your program. That's it. That's all you can do. The, the plan hasn't changed. The plan doesn't all of a sudden change because you add these two teams. Now, I don't know if they're going to go east-west. I don't know if they're going to go a pod system. Again, there are people who make a lot more money than, than you and I and that are in those positions of power. They will have the final say-so. They'll make the decisions. I have no clue what's going to happen. Again, all you can do, control what you can control. I know that's what Shane Beamer will do. That's what this program will do. Worry about what you can worry about, what you can control. Build a great football program and let the rest take care of itself. So I think that's all you can really do. And I think that's what they will do. So, But a good question, nonetheless. Uh, Again, guys, appreciate the questions. Appreciate you all being interactive now. Like I said, I appreciate you all tuning in to Love and Sport. Thank you all so much. Been another very successful week in regards to the content, the business, everything. Very excited for this. The first ever time here in the airwaves. Of course, guys, we always have our guest interviews and all that good stuff. So yesterday, I had an interview scheduled for 10 a.m. And our guest had to reschedule, which we're going to get him back on. No big deal at all. But the plan was coming into today, okay, we'll just do our show. No interview, no big deal. Keep it moving. But I thought to myself, you know what? There have definitely been people that have clamored for uh, some of these old interviews, if you will, that, you know, we've been going, I mean, we're on episode 476, right? Like Corey Boyd's conversation, for example, last week, he was on episode 75. A lot of people had never even heard it. So 
A lot of you have asked for this guy to come on my show without realizing he has graced the airways before. And, of course, that's former Gamecocks quarterback Connor Shaw, the greatest to ever do it at South Carolina. Again, I had Connor on the show way, way back September of 2018. So damn near three years to the date. But, guys, it still stands out as one of the best conversations I've ever had on the airwaves, talking about his career, reliving some of the best moments in Gamecocks history, an incredible conversation, and one I know that you are sure to enjoy without a doubt. So, again, guys, thank you all so much for tuning in. Thank you again, guys, for the love and support. Without you guys, nothing we do or all the things we do could not be possible without you. So, again, thank you all so much. I truly mean it from the bottom of my heart. It's been incredible to go through this preseason with you all, and as we count down 37 days away from another Carolina kickoff. What a time to be alive, folks. Again, thank you all so much for tuning in. Enjoy your day, and enjoy this conversation with former Gamecocks quarterback Connor Shaw. All right, joining us on the Spurs Up show today, a very special guest. He's the winningest quarterback in South Carolina history with an overall record of 27-5, and a perfect 17-0 and home record. Uh, South Carolina's career leader in completion percentage, second in t- passing touchdowns, and fourth in passing yards. He also ran for almost 1,700 yards as well in his South Carolina career. Also spent three years in the NFL, two of those with the Cleveland Browns, one with the Chicago Bears. Um, spent some time in college coaching as well as now working for Colonial Life and is going to spend some time uh, working on getting a business started up in Greenville, which we're going to get to a little bit later. But I want to welcome to the show uh, a very hearty welcome to former Gamecocks quarterback Connor Shaw. Connor, again, appreciate you taking the time, and it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to chatting. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I just want to jump right into it, Connor. Uh, you know, obviously you, you know, growing up the son of a coach, you played your high school ball at Flowery Branch High School. Uh, again, being the son of a coach, how do you think that helped you just throughout your football career? And, you know, how do you think that shaped you overall as the football player you were and then became, you know, later on? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I uh, I grew up in a locker room. It was basically a, a football mindset, a culture that I grew up in. Um, my dad was a head coach since I was born. Uh, looked up to the high school players that he'd coached all throughout um, my, my childhood and I think him being a coach was just been an outstanding resource for me as I went on to play at a high level in high school and in college and then ultimately in the NFL and now my brother being a coach um, there's just there's a handful of times that I can remember um, with just learning the game learning how to prepare I think that kind of propelled me at an earlier age and gave me an advantage a competitive advantage before I even got to South Carolina. No, absolutely. And you could definitely see it in your play as well, obviously, just that discipline, that toughness, if you will, you know, being a coach's son. Um, you know, simply put, I'm sure you had other collegiate options, but why South Carolina? What made you want to be a Gamecock? I actually grew up a huge Steve Spurrier fan in the midst of Bulldog country. Um, <laughs> growing up in a coach's household, I paid attention to the coaching, coaching antics on the sideline. Um, and you can't help but to watch Coach Spurrier uh, when he was coaching up Florida, and I just fell in love with him. I knew he was a very disciplined coach. That he had success at success at every level of the game as a player and a coach, and that's exactly who I wanted to go play for. And lo and behold, um, later in my high school career, I had the opportunity to go uh, commit to the University of South Carolina and play for Coach Burry and still have a really good relationship with him now. And, uh, boy, there's just so many things I learned from him. 
No, absolutely. And I want to get into that a little bit later, just kind of your, you know, your experience and kind of your relationship with Coach Spurrier. But obviously, you know, you get to South Carolina, your first get really, you know, big time game action comes uh, on the road at Auburn as a freshman. Talk about what was it like just kind of <laughs> your first action? I mean, so obviously it's a hostile environment. Auburn's obviously a really good football team. They've got Cam Newton at quarterback. You guys ended up playing them again in the SEC championship later that year. But you know, talk about obviously you get thrust in there in the fourth quarter of that game. What was that like, just being such a young player put in a situation like that? Oh, goodness, it was baptism by fire. And I think um, <laughs> in most cases, that's the best way to learn. It was a tremendous learning opportunity for me. And it was in the fourth quarter, and Stephen was playing great for three quarters and then just had some turnovers late. And Coach Burger thought I would bring a spark. And unfortunately, we marched him down there twice, and then two more turnovers added to that game. But look back, looking back on that, um, I think that was just a pivotal moment for me. I didn't want that taste in my mouth anymore, and it was something that I grew, I grew from. And I, you know, it's, it's those type of moments that you appreciate when Coach Spurrier throws in a freshman, um, thinking that he has enough confidence in him to go win the ball ball game, and that, that's, that's something that I took to heart and and improved from there. No, absolutely. And you talked a little about Steven Garcia, obviously a friend of our show, someone who's been on our show before. Um, you know, what's your relationship like with Steven, you know, not only when you were playing, but to this day, and what were you able to learn from him, you know, from your playing days, kind of being uh, being behind him? I admired Steven on the playing field. I thought he was a tough competitor, and he had a skill set that was God-given. Um, I enjoy being around Steven. He was a good friend when I was at South Carolina, even in the midst of all the controversy of of us competing for the job that never got to us as a, as our friendship. And he would, he, he did what he could to help me as a young quarterback, uh, getting on campus, graduating early. Um, didn't really have anyone in my class, but he was always uh, a good friend in that aspect. And then we keep in, we keep in touch with each other now. I think he's doing a great job in Florida and around the state of uh, being a resource for young quarterbacks. And I know he's uh, a coach now in high school and uh, high school coach in Florida. And, um, no, I have, I have a good respect for, for Steven Garcia. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Him and Perry Worth definitely doing a really good job with all the, uh, you know, the young quarterbacks around the state. Absolutely. And Southeast for sure. But want to get back to coach Spurrier, obviously. I mean, you mentioned it, you know, the guy you watched growing up talk about, you know, there's, there's been so many Spurrier stories from different quarterbacks about what it's like to play for him. You know, your personal experience is, is it any easier to play for Steven, Steve Spurrier you know, when you're a successful quarterback versus maybe when you're kind of in and out being switched every play, like we saw kind of Steven Garcia and Chris Smelly were. I mean, what's that experience like being a quarterback under Coach Spurrier? Yeah, no, well, I think with the whole quarterback, um, you know, switching series, not real sure what's going to end up throughout the game. I think that's kind of a delicate deal. I think me and Dylan made it work because uh we just, we just had such a good relationship with each other, and we knew that we had enough trust in Coach Spurrier that he was going to put the guy out in the field that was going to help the team win. And uh, obviously it, it helped us throughout the year. I was banged up a good bit in 2012, and Dylan came in and played his, played his tail off. And I think it's those, those type of moments where you just trust and believe Coach Spurrier. But he's the most competitive person I've ever been around. He's a perfectionist. Uh, he, he only asks of you what he thinks that you're capable of. And – that's what I loved about him. There was times where, I mean, it was definitely a love-hate relationship with Coach Burrier. And it, but looking back on it after you graduate, those are the those are the things you appreciate. You don't want a coach that uh, would just kind of nod your head and tell you what you want to hear. I think um, coming in as a young freshman and playing 
early. Uh, I think he was instrumental in my developmental process as a, as a quarterback. I came in as, as a decent quarterback and a really good athlete, and he shaped me more as a passer and gave me an opportunity to go play in the NFL. Absolutely. With him, is it more so, you know, I've always wondered this, is it more so the mental game he focuses on or is it actual technique as far as throwing the football or just kind of reading defenses? What, is, what, does, he, what does he focus on most with his quarterbacks or is it different for each guy? I think it differs, but yeah, he's, um, he's obviously in tune with fundamentals and mechanics, uh, but you know, really he just taught me how to prepare, what to look for in, in film and film study on a weekly basis. Um, you know, how, how to perform under pressure. I mean, he was great in simulating that through practice. Um, and I just think his broad knowledge of the game uh, and even, you know, listening to him coach up the wide receivers and tight ends and other positions, it, he's just, uh, you, you can tell he's been around the game all of his life and has done well. And there's just so many learning opportunities uh, on the football field that translated uh, to my performance on the field. Absolutely. So let's move into 2011. Obviously, your sophomore season, Stephen Garcia is still firmly kind of the guy, if you will, at the quarterback position. East Carolina comes around, you're named the starter. Um, what was that like, you know, being named the starter for that game? Did you expect to start, you know, through fall camp, obviously? I mean, what, what was that overall kind of like going in that game, knowing you're the guy? Um, yeah, I don't know. I can't. I don't think I expected anything going into that week. I know he had named the starter about midweek. Um, I had a good camp. Me and Steven and I competed, um, and we had gone in that week thinking that we were, I was going to play in the first quarter and that Garcia was going to take the rest of the game regardless of what was going to happen. And he had a meeting before the game and told us both uh, in his office. We moved forward with it, and obviously it was a, it was a good move by bringing Steven in. He created a spark and, and went on to win big. And that was another pivotal moment where a good learning opportunity for me it was my first start. Um, and uh you know first game of the year and just something to build on and something to learn from Steven no absolutely and you know in 2011 you did take over this as the starter Connor that first game against Kentucky and then obviously throughout the uh the rest of the season and then for the rest of your career you know talk about just kind of what that was like really knowing that at that point you were the guy and you know you were obviously able to handle it really well I mean you came in and the offense didn't miss a beat I think you guys scored like 54 that day against Kentucky was that just due to your preparation you because I, I can see, definitely see you as a guy that's you go out there and prepare every day and practice like you're going to be the starter no matter what any no matter what the depth chart looks like what was you know what was that like yeah, I, I mean, of course, I try to prepare that way, but it was a little more freedom going in, going into that week, knowing that this was my show, and then no matter what was going to happen, um, I was going to get yanked in the middle of a game or a middle of a series. I could go play free, um, and yeah, our, our offense had a big day that game. Kentucky wasn't a very good football team, and and um, I think our players just kind of responded really well and rallied with uh, with all that was going on before that week, and then you know. Although we had a great game that week, the, the following weeks against Tennessee and Mississippi State, you know, our offense was struggling to find an identity, and it was just so important that uh, our our defense played so well and gave us that four-game stretch really to to find, you know, what we're really good at on offense before, you know, the kind of the coming out party against Clemson that year and then uh, going on to win the Capital One Bowl against Nebraska. But I felt like 2011 was just such a year of – of highs and lows, but uh, it's a testament to the coaching staff of and the veterans in the locker room to holding it together and uh, making sure that we're on a on a path to success. 
Absolutely. And 2011 was certainly a special year. You know, it was the first time South Carolina reached the 11 win plateau. You guys beat Nebraska, obviously, in the Capital One Bowl. Um, just talk about what did that mean for you guys as far as, you know, being the first team in school history to hit, you know, basically the winningest team in school history to hit that 11 win plateau and what kind of confidence, I mean, obviously had to, must've given you guys a ton of confidence moving into 2012 and then obviously moving into 2013 as well. Yeah, it sure did. It was a, anytime you can win 11 and win your bowl game into the next year, it, it, there's a lot of motivation through the off season program workouts uh, that sets up for another big year. Um, but I think we were just surrounded by a lot of hungry players in the locker room and a hungry fan base that wanted to win. And, you know, it's a great combination to, to find, to find W's on Saturdays. And, you know, that was kind of the common trend from 2010 to 2013 was we won so many games before we stepped on the field because mm -hmm. of the camaraderie in that locker room mm -hmm. and the, and the people that the coaching staff brought together. I mean, we gelled well and it showed on the field. Absolutely. So you talked about moving to 2012. You talked about you were, you were pretty banged up that year. There were definitely some games I can think off the top of my head. East Carolina, Clemson, that Dylan Thompson, you know, really stepped up and showed out, especially that Clemson game on the road. No you know, doubt. Big victory there. Talk about just overall, you know, on the field and off the field, you know, your relationship with Dylan. I mean, you could definitely see the chemistry that you guys had. Um, again, you know, he had some really, really big moments and you guys appeared to be, you know, really close. And it was really cool to see you guys really like you guys were pulling pulling for each other, um, you know, when one or the other was on the field. Just talk about your relationship with Dylan. Yeah, I have the ultimate respect for Dylan. I think he's an amazing human being and was uh, was a, a wonderful anchor in the locker room. Um, obviously, a lot of people respond well to him, including myself. And it was that was exactly the case. We pulled for each other, whoever's on the field. And I think that's why, we, that's why uh, the two-quarterback system was successful that year. Um, you know, we had complete confidence – in each other and you know the guys that we played with, uh, but yeah, there, that was another bit of a roller coaster year where I uh, fractured my scapula in the, in the opener versus Vanderbilt, and then Dylan stepped in against uh, East Carolina, had a big game, and then later on had a, a Liz Frank um, fracture and, and a couple of torn ligaments in my foot later in the year, and there was not a there was a, some uncertainty going into Clemson game, and Dylan once again proved that. Um, you know, he could step up and perform big on a big stage. And, and then going into the, um, the uh, Outback Bowl where we split time and, and obviously both performed well and he was able to bring it home in the last series. And we just fed off each other. We fed, around, we fed off the guys around us. And I think the receiving unit, the receivers and the offensive line, uh, you, you know, they, they tend to follow their leaders in that locker room. And I think with the way Dylan and I treated each other, and, um, you know, how we made it work directly reflected for the rest of the team. No, absolutely. And yeah, it was really a lot of fun to watch for sure. Um, you know, of those those three 11-win teams you played, I'm going to get to 2013 in just a second, but you bring up a great point. Those three 11-win te teams you played on, 2011, 2012, 2013, which one do you think was the best overall? And it's a fun debate to have because I, I, I go back and forth between 2012 and 2013. I look back at the 2012 schedule right before we hopped on, you know, obviously, you guys did the huge, the huge – Yeah, absolutely. The huge Georgia win, I mean, took a lot of emotion out. Obviously, game day was there. Uh, huge, huge win. But you guys had to go to Baton Rouge the next week and to Gainesville the week after that. I think a lot of people forget about that. I mean, I don't, I don't know a lot of teams yeah. that come out of that stretch 3-0, and much less 2-1, and or maybe even 1-2. Yeah. Talk about which of the three teams do you think overall maybe was the best of the 11-win teams while you are at South Carolina. 
Oh, man, that was a tough question. There were um, – I think the 2012 defensive unit was as good as I've ever seen. And those guys are all over the NFL playing right now. Yeah. And I think our offense is a little bit better. Uh, in 2013, I think you just had guys that had played from a younger age and developed, uh, including myself, that was kind of a recipe for success um, on the offensive side of the on the football. But I mean, you could you could certainly debate all day which which one of those teams uh, were just an all-around better unit. But you know what sticks out in 2012 is just how good that defense we had was, um, and it allowed our offense to have many opportunities to to put points on the board. Yeah, I was going to say, it kind of seemed like in 2012, Jadavion Clowney was still a well-kept secret, and he wasn't getting schemed for quite as much, which let him just, you know, obviously there were well, a ton of other it pushed Melvin Ingram to become a different animal. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that year, um, you know, competition breeds the best out of anyone, and that's exactly the case. We had so many good players that pushed each other and held each other accountable, um, you know, and if anything didn't align with our team goals, we called each other out for it, and we, we handled it like men. We moved on. We didn't hold a grudge, and, you know, we loved each other, and I think uh, you know, that compensates for a lot. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, I, you know, before I moved to 2013, I think I'd be remiss to not mention, uh, obviously, your former teammate, Marcus Lattimore, that you had the, uh, you know, were able yeah. to play with, obviously, your years at South Carolina. He's obviously now on the on the staff at South Carolina doing really great things with those guys. But talk about just your relationship with Marcus and what you remember from playing with him. Yeah, there's a lot of good memories of Marcus. You know, I think his freshman campaign was so inspiring, and, and I think that's what led to a lot of success, obviously. And um, just watching him play from the sidelines as a freshman, it was it was so motivating and encourage, encouraging for me to see and, and the rest of that class that we brought in that year uh, to see what, what was capable of this South Carolina team for the next four years. And he's obviously uh, was a captain and leader of that squad um, for the following years, and and you know that's what it takes. It takes those type of people and those type of players, but also that the type of character that Marcus has to completely transform a culture from the inside out. And and that's how you go on a run for for four years. That's how you you know beat your rival for four years. That's how it helps in recruiting. Um, and I, I do think that we're getting back that way in Columbia right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I know Marcus Lattimore is having a Absolutely positive impact on that for sure. It's great to have him back in the program. Um, okay, 100%. finally, yeah, absolutely. Finally, moving to 2013, I want to jump to the game, Missouri. Uh, obviously, you guys were kind of down and out through three quarters. You know, you come off the bench. You have to remind me of what the injury was, but you know, how badly were you hurt? Just talk about, you know, what it was like. Obviously, coming off the bench, you know, you're you're cold all night. Come off the bench, and you guys are able to win that football game in overtime. Gosh, I, I honestly don't remember too much from that game. I think your adrenaline gets gets going you find a zone and you take it play by play but yeah we just suffered a, a heartbreaking loss versus Tennessee the week prior mm-hmm. and I uh, uh, ended up uh, spraining partially te- partially tearing my LCL um, that game and then coach Boyer said early in the week that hey Connor we're gonna let Dylan roll with this uh, versus Missouri and obviously I understood where it was coming from, but, you know, if you're competitive as I am, you obviously want to be on the field and compete with your guys. And um, so we get on the team playing to Columbia, Missouri, and <laughs> I end up with the flu. I'm, I'm throwing up. I didn't go to any team meetings. Um, we're getting IVs in me before the game. And, and Coach Burrier mentions that, hey, you don't have to dress out. We'll, we'll just, you know, 
I'm sick. I mean, it's obviously, um, you know, can understand where he was, where he's coming from on that perspective. But I was a team captain. I was voted captain by our players, and I at least wanted to address and go do the coin toss. I felt like I had an obligation there, and I wanted to be with the teammates. And then, lo and behold, in the fourth, nearing the fourth quarter, um, you know, we just needed a spark. And it's not that Dylan was playing bad. I just think we had some key turnovers early in the, in, in the red zone, a couple of fumbles around the goal line. Uh, we just couldn't really get anything going. And I can just remember going in saying, hey, man, we're not going to win this game in a series. Let's just focus on moving the chains, take it play by play. And then before you know it, we're in overtime. And then you know, the rest is history. Absolutely. So did you go to Spurrier and, you know, ask to go in the game? Did he come to you? What was that like? No. So, yeah, I, I normally stick around Coach Spurrier just to hear the play calls. Um uh-huh kind of get his thought process of what was going on and I could kind of feel it coming there was a, a three and out uh, later in the third quarter and uh, he was looking around I knew he was looking for me and then we we made eye contact and he said Connor can you go I looked up at the scoreboard 17 to nothing going in the fourth quarter and I was like well yes sir he said okay we got to do it now go warm up so that's um uh, that's what initiated that that's awesome all right, so talking again, 2013, you know, what was it like your last time in Williams-Brice Stadium? Obviously, you, you know, we talked about earlier, you went 17-0 and home record. You know, those teams you were on went 17-0 and home record. You finish off your home career at Williams-Brice beating Clemson in just a, you know, a really fun back-and-forth game against the Tigers in 2013. Talk about how special that was to not only, you know, finish off your career at Williams-Brice with a win, but for it to be over your arch rival and to go undefeated against those guys. Yeah, it was incredible. It was senior night, um, and it go, goes back to the, the fan base surrounding South Carolina that was so starving for success. And, you know, through that stint, we were the, it was the toughest place to play in the country, that 17-0 and streak, and uh, I think it was 18-0, and actually. Mm. And to go out that way versus Clemson senior night, um, you know, very prideful of that, of that record. If there's any accomplishment that we expect to accomplish as a team, I think that that really sinks in with me. It really resonates. Um, it's going undefeated at home. You'd like to protect your house, and, and that's exactly what we did. But it was very – it was memorable. It's something that I'll, I'll cherish for a lifetime. And, and, you know, in the fashion that we won as well, um, it, it created an insane environment in Williams-Brice like it usually does, and it was uh, a wonderful memory. Absolutely. I was actually there for that game, and I can confirm it was an absolutely insane atmosphere. So. <laughs> it sure was. Um, moving to, you know – current day, if you will, um, or we'll talk about actually your NFL career first, because I want to go straight from your college career. You know, you go to the NFL, yeah. um, obviously you're with the Cleveland Browns for two years, really interesting situation there. You're actually behind Johnny football, which, you know, I'm sure was very yeah. interesting, but talk about just kind of <laughs> a, the transition from collegiate, you know, football to the NFL. What was the hardest transition and, you know, what did you learn overall in that, in that process? Yeah, there was a, it was a, a great, transition uh, a lot of people say the the speed of the game um you know people are bigger faster stronger but the sec is a mini pool of the nfl i think the biggest learning curve was you're playing with guys who've been in for eight plus years who know how to be a professional they know how to prepare they know how to treat their body and then from a quarterback perspective it's completely different the system i was in with coach burger was night and day from from a west coast system and kyle shanahan it was very wordy getting in and out of the huddle um um, and then understanding the, the complex coverages and blitz schemes. There's a lot of exotic blitz packages, uh, especially in the AFC North. And 
Um, I think that for 16 weeks on the practice squad, um, it was a great opportunity just for me to learn and see how Brian Hoyer pre- prepared and to to go in with another rookie and Johnny Manziel. We were kind of learning on the fly together and, and helping each other out. And, uh, you know, you find the veterans in the locker room and like the Joe Thomas or the Miles Austin and see how they handle the day-to-day. Um, and uh, so, and then eventually had the, uh, the week 17 start versus Baltimore, which is another wonderful experience for me. You know, obviously at the time I uh, didn't think that was going to be the, the one and only start, but um, you know, it was, it was circumstances where it was, it was win or go home for Baltimore. They ended up winning and going to the playoffs and it was, it was a rowdy environment there, but, uh, you know, played well for three quarters and then Joe Flacco decided to be Joe Flacco and went 12 for 12 in the fourth quarter. But uh, it's just something back that something, you know, I look back on and another moment that I'll, that I appreciate, especially from someone who wanted to be a starting quarterback in the NFL since I was six years old. And then uh, it was another learning opportunity for me the, the following years after that. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's so cool. I mean, there's definitely not a lot of guys that get to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. And, you know, you can also look at the positive that you'll live in, live in the lore of the Cleveland Brown quarterbacks forever. There's Shaw somewhere down that list of all the. Oh, man, I get it every year. I get it every year when that jersey comes out, surfaces on ESPN, there's Shaw crossed out. And I have a, a good good bit of my former teammates that love to send that to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. So obviously you went to the, uh, from the Browns to the bears and obviously, you know, you, you dealt with some injuries, dealt with some things and your career came to an end. Talk about, you know, again, you wanted to be a starting quarterback in the NFL since you were six years old. How was it, how hard was it to kind of let the game go and obviously move into post football life? Yeah, it was difficult, but I think uh, I was at peace with it. When you go on three consecutive IR seasons, at some point your body's had enough and it's just mentally draining. And, you know, when you have two kids, you start to value other things and it was time for me to move on. But, you know, any competitor, it's, t- it's tough to walk away. It's tough to hang that helmet up for the final time. But when you know, you know, and um, as, as discouraged I was after that 2014 rookie season, uh, 2015, I tore my thumb, put on IR then released that following summer, went into the camp in Chicago um, and probably played the best football I've had in my career, college and NFL, through the camp. You know, I was playing at a high level, um, threw a touchdown in New, uh, versus New England and a couple in Kansas City, and uh, there was just a good thing going there. I was com- competing for the number two spot behind Jay Cutler and then break a tip-tip in the third preseason game, and that's just life. I understand that that's the, sometimes that's, that's uh, how it goes, but even learning, looking back on those um, those injuries, there's so many learning lessons that I that I went through, um, and really learned the game from different perspectives. I sat in defensive line meetings and secondary meetings, and and really looking at the the game from different scopes, um, and it it just helped my knowledge of the game. Um, so there's definitely some positives that I can pull out of that. Absolutely. So I want to talk about the current Gamecocks team and obviously get into what you're doing post-football life because there's been a lot that's went on that, you know, you, you've been doing a lot of great things. Um, but want to talk about kind of 2018 Gamecocks, obviously South Carolina one and one overall right now in the third year of the Will Muschamp era. Talk about just overall your impressions of Will Muschamp and the job that he's done overall and, and is doing. Well, he's an intense and very passionate person. And I think that's exactly what you see from his football team. He's done a great job of putting together a staff and then 
and you can see that he's take, uh, put an emphasis on recruiting, which was something that was desperately needed when Coach Spurrier left. And he's done all he could, and I think it's it's going to continue to come uh, to climb. Um, and you know, as far as this season goes, uh, the Georgia game, I thought the defense played a heck of a, a game the first half. You take away the pick six and the the uh, the botched punt um, that led to three points. Yeah, I think in the second half there was just too much too much depth for Georgia, and they're just talented, more talented than us right now. They're going to be a national con national contender. So I think the Gamecocks are are better than what they showed versus Georgia. Um, and then this weekend, this you know, this is Vanderbilt at Vandy, and uh, yeah, Kyle Shermer is 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 fun to watch. I think he's going to be a good quarterback in the NFL. Um, you know, he he's very limited with the talent around him, but it's, it's going to be a challenge for Carolina, but. Uh, you know, with that being said, I do think we will roll, but it's it's fun to see the uh, the progression of this Carolina team under Coach Muschamp and also the progression of Jake Bentley. I mean, so many people, um, you know, there's people forget how young he actually is. And to see him, the maturation process for him has been fun to watch. And he, he'll continue to compete and play on a high level. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was going to say, you, you guys definitely had some uh... – some some fights with Vanderbilt. I just remember that. I think it was the 2012 season. I think on the road at Vandy. That, those always yeah, seem to be tough right. games, no matter what the talent level. And we actually had a fun exchange with uh, Jordan Rogers, who was the quarterback at Vanderbilt and is now with the SEC Network. We had a fun exchange with him a, about a month ago on on Twitter, just about that game and everything. But you, you know, you talked about yeah. Kyle, obviously the quarterback for the Commodores, um, and you've touched lightly on Jake Bentley. Just talk about what do you see from Jake Bentley? I mean, I, I'll be completely honest, Connor. He's a guy. I've been, you know, I've been fairly critical here and there because, you know, he's he's had his struggles in some of the bigger games, if you will. I mean, you, sure. you obviously yeah. know, fair or unfair, the quarterback or really a leader of any type of team or program or business, but you get too much of the credit when things go well and you get way too much of the blame when things don't go well. Talk about, you know, yeah. obviously, like you said, he's still, when you think about it, he's still really young. You know, what do you see from Jake Bentley? What have you seen from his progression? What do you think if you were – you know, if you were his quarterback coach for a day, what, what what advice would you give him? What do you think he could work on and improve on? Um, no, I, I definitely think the game has slowed down for him. Um, he goes through progressions a lot better than he did as a younger quarterback, which is natural. Um, uh, he's very poised. He doesn't seem to get rattled often. Um, he's got some weapons around him where he can be a point guard and just distribute the football into his playmaker's hands. Um, and you know, as far as the performing under, you know, on big stages, those big stages happen to be very, very good football teams. Um, I mean, you take a Clemson, you take a, a Georgia, and those guys are national contenders, and we're just not there yet because we're young, and it takes time for Coach Muschamp to get his players into his system, develop them, and go play at a high level. And I, I think we're very fortunate to have Jake that came in um, earlier in his career, and um I think just game experience. The more time he plays, the better he'll develop and the better he'll play. Absolutely, 100%. You know, you mentioned the defense against Georgia. I definitely think with Will Muschamp at the helm, that's going to be something where, you know, we talked about it kind of when we previewed the season. It's You don't want to say it's just the benefit of the doubt, like it's always going to be that way. But I just feel like with Will Muschamp at the helm, that's going to be something where you know that South Carolina is going to at least be solid on the defensive side of the ball. So, for sure, I think South Carolina's definitely got the right guy the right guy in charge for uh, leading the program. 
Um, so, like I said, okay. I want to talk a little bit about what, you know, post-football for you. You obviously coached a little bit at Furman, uh, was a tight ends coach. First thing I'm going to ask is how much do you really know about tight ends? <laughs> and second, what experience <laughs> like, uh, you know, just being a college football coach? Yeah. Well, I know a good bit of the tight end position from a quarterback perspective. And I <laughs> certainly uh, – I certainly learned more through that process, but uh, it was actually really good timing because the year, my last year in Chicago, uh, they were, they put an emphasis on tight end play and we drafted two that year out of Chicago. We studied Jason Witten and many, many cutups uh, through the off season to see who they were going to uh, the who they were going to draft and acquire in uh, free agency. So just from hearing Dow Loggins coach on it and uh, you know, I've been around it long enough to understand the position enough to go coach it and, you know, techniques, but no, I, I enjoyed coaching. Uh, like I said, I grew up in the coach's family. It was kind of always in the back of my mind. That's something I would do after ball. You know, the reality of it is at that level, um, it's about 80% recruiting and 20% coaching. And when I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old, I just, there's things that I value more than the game of football right now. There's ways to get involved with it. Uh, but there's an opportunity for me to be, um, to be with them a little bit more in a critical age they are and, and put real roots down here in Greenville, South Carolina. A lot of young coaches, uh, when they get into the coaching business, they don't have families, not, not many obligations. They can pick up and travel wherever they want. And that's exactly what's required of them. Um, it's the road more traveled before they start to settle in on a bigger job. And um, I just think that in football, I've been a part of football since I was six years old. So it's a bit of, um, a new chapter for me. It's very exciting to do something else and um, and find you know unique ways to get involved with the program and and use uh, something that I've been experienced with and, and exposed to 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 be a resource for for younger players. I still want to take on more of a mentor role. Um, I think there's too great of a platform of the game um, and some and stuff that I've been familiar with not to. So I enjoyed my stint with Furman. I just think there's um, it's appropriate timing for, for me to pursue other things. Absolutely. And I, and I want to get into, you know, the article that came out today, actually in perfect alignment with this interview that with the, uh, the state kind of talking about what you're doing, but I kind of want to give you a hypothetical that just came to my mind if, and maybe this has already happened before, I'm not sure, but if South Carolina ever presented the opportunity to come back and be affiliated with the program, whether it's in a coaching role or a mentorship role, similar to, you know, how they've extended out to Marcus Lattimore, the position he's taken. Um, yeah. You know, how seriously, I guess, would you take that offer? Is that something that you would you you think you may want to pursue? Obviously, depending on, you know, what the position was. But, you sure. know, how cool yeah. do you think that would be to come back to South Carolina and, you know, be a Gamecock again? Yeah, well, I mean, I'll always be a Gamecock, and that place is home for me. And I do want to get more involved with the program. And as far as an official title, you know, I, I'm definitely not closing the door on coaching. But if – you know, if there's something services later on that, that, um, you know, requires me to be the part of the program, I would love to do anything that I can that, to help to get the, the right guys, whether it be recruiting or any way that, that Coach Mushamp or, or Ray Tanner uh, deems appropriate. For now, I'll be, uh, I'll be there on Saturdays rooting on the Gamecocks and, and just uh, enjoying being a, a tailgater and a fan. Um, but no, I'll always do anything I can to support the Gamecocks. Absolutely. hundred percent. Now, before we let you go, Connor, again, I want to talk about the article that came out today with the state. Um, you've taken on a role with colonial life. Um, you know, you talked about, you kind of planning on starting a quarter, uh, 
business in Greenville as far as training quarterbacks is concerned. Just give us a little bit more insight on that, kind of what your plans are as far as as of currently and then obviously moving into the future. Yeah, I'll hit on it a little bit. So I put together a business model and right now looking for a facility to, to lease out. And I've consulted with Chip Smith, who is he's trained more NFL athletes than anyone in the world. And he's trained me in Atlanta since I was in the third grade and actually just got my certification through him a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's through the Moore system, the movement over speed resistance reaction and implementing that into quarterback play. So it'll be a detailed regimen, uh, strength, conditioning, agility, along with quarterback movements, fundamental mechanics with resist resistance bands and anything to simulate live play from a quarterback perspective. And then go out through the route tree and, and um, you know, simulate live reps. But, you know, that'll, that'll come in, in due time and uh, it will be um, at least a year from now. There's, there's things that I want to do that to settle in with Colonial Life and really build this business. And, um, but there's exciting things to look forward to. Absolutely, 100%. Well, yeah, I know we're all looking forward to it. I mean, again, Connor, it's, you know, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Again, we're, we'll definitely keep in touch and, you know, obviously look out and best of life with Colonial Life and obviously with the upcoming business. But, you know, other than that, I mean, I think I'll finish off with one last question that was sort of, sort of saving to the end. But just really quick, you can either be a one-word answer or just kind of whatever first comes to your head. But overall, just your favorite memory as a Gamecock wearing the garnet and black. Mm. I've got about 10 that's floating through my head right now. But, I mean, it was it was pretty special on senior night, walking off of Williams Bryce, knowing that we never lost there. And, um, you know, that atmosphere and walking walking off the, the field with the guys that we played with. But, you know, if there was one game that I could look back at, too, uh, it, which is most exciting to, to rewatch is uh, or relive through memories is the 2012, 2012 versus Georgia. It was just uh, electrifying atmosphere. And we came out of the gate hot and put it on Georgia. And it was, uh, it was one to remember for sure. Absolutely. Well, again, Connor, you know, again, I, I really appreciate you taking the time and, uh, you know, appreciate you coming on. Let's do it again sometime. Absolutely. I enjoyed talking with you.